Across America and around the world, famous vintners and favorite destinations. We share the stories behind the wines. Welcome to Vintage, hosted by the voice of wine, Brian Bushlack. of craft spirits has exploded in the past decade and while there are thousands of brands hundreds of varietals and dozens of personalities there is only one ian mcneil without question the most talented creative entertaining and enjoyable person in the industry ian is the driving force behind glass distillery glass vodka and now the deliciously addicting glass vodka soda we're fortunate to call him a friend, and it's been wonderful to see his dream become a reality. His love of glass, combined with an ambitious goal to produce an artisan vodka that is like nothing you have ever experienced. I revisited Ian at his studio and distillery in the Soto District of Seattle so you could experience his passion firsthand and get what may be your first taste of his new American vodka that is like nothing else on earth. Here it is, 2019, and I look back eight years ago when I had the idea of starting Glass Distillery, and um, lo and behold, we're still in business and, and running around making uh, world-class vodka here right in Seattle, Washington. You know, it's, a, it's interesting. Eight years. We moved here about seven years ago, and about the time we moved here, either Brad Brotherton or Stacy Lill said, there's this guy, Ian McNeil, and here's what he's doing. And we came down here, and I mean, there wasn't a whole lot down here seven eight years ago i mean you've come a long way in a short time yeah so as the soto neighborhood where we reside um it's just crazy when when we opened up the distillery here we're in this beautiful old building that we restored that no one was down here even the, the the tenants that were in the building had been gone for six or seven years and the the fellow who owned the building uh his family had built the building his grandparents built the building back in the early 1900s and they were excited about the fact that this building was going to be utilized to to house this new up-and-coming industry that that was getting started in the, in, uh, in washington and it knew really for the um uh, for the whole country but so i was the 23rd distillery license awarded in washington state since prohibition and the first one in Seattle was just 2010. And the first one in Washington since Prohibition was 2007. Fast forward to now, we've got over 160 distilleries. We're the, we're the largest number of distilleries in the country here in Washington State. We love our vices, don't we? Um, but we also have a market that supports it. So we support our wineries, we support our breweries, but everything happens faster today and, um, and distilleries have seen a, uh, a great growth and we've been part of that, um, uh, that fantastic growth that we've seen in, in Washington. Now, what did you do prior to living the dream or building the dream here at, at Glass? So uh, let me correct you. Uh, I may be building the dream, but I'm dreaming of the life. I'm not living the life yet. But um, uh, I don't remember what I was doing before because that seems so long ago. But I, I think in this like dreamlike setting that that um, that exists in my memory and it's getting foggier every day. Uh, I was in the software and telecom world. So my wife and I moved here back in um, 1996. We'd been living abroad. We were in Russia. I was in the telecommunications industry, sort of in the the. the 
early go-go years of uh, Perestroika in Russia. And um, we lived there for about four, four plus years. We moved back to the United States and we said, we're going to go move someplace where we can have a better lifestyle. Um, Believe it or not, Russia doesn't have a similar lifestyle as we do here in Seattle. It's a little harder living. And it was really hard in the early 1990s. So anyway, we started here and uh, and, and worked in in, uh, sort of the early startup years of internet businesses and, and software. And that's where I sort of uh, cut my teeth in the business world, I guess. And you checked out of that, obviously. I mean, you had this vision. You've always had that artsy, you know, that creative bone, right? So yeah. when did you get the idea or when did this start to come together that, hey, this is really what I want to do? You know, I've forever I've wanted to own my own business. And I I sort of toyed with all different ideas of really what I wanted to do. Maybe it was going to be in this, um, the software space. Maybe it was going to be in technology. I'll, I'll tell you, as, um, 10 years ago, I was... I had some good fortune with my um, past businesses, nothing significant, but thought that I could start my own business or work through it. I looked at actually buying an electronics recycling business. I thought, my gosh, we're creating all this waste. I found a company that was interested in selling. Uh, I learned my lesson about wanting to go buy some things and you don't necessarily tell someone how pretty their baby is and then offer them something. You really say, well, I'll take this off your hands. It's probably the way you I should have gone about it. But... Um, I even looked at a, um, a software company that did matchmaking software, and uh, lo and behold, around 2010, I had the opportunity to look at a helicopter um, ski business. It was based up in Canada. For one reason or another, these things didn't work out, and then at that time was when the state of Washington, the voters, decided that we no longer should be in the distribution business of alcohol. What we should have is a, a more open market. And not only did the, the laws of distribution change in this state, but it was also the emergence of the, the craft distillery license in our state. So it was a good um, meeting of opportunities between market conditions, consumers' preference for different types of products, my experience in, in my business and um, personal life, all kind of coming together and sort of a, a, a great catalyst for me to bite the bullet and start my own business. So I wrote a business plan, tore it apart, wrote it and said, yeah, I think we can do this. Talk to my wife about it. And, um, and we decided to pull the trigger and, and start this business. And literally within a month after I pulled the trigger, made a significant deposit on something that was going to take more than nine months to build, which were my stills, and signed a long-term lease. My wife gets an offer who um, works with Wells Fargo to go run a uh, commercial banking group down in Dallas, Texas. So upheaval, living in Seattle for 15 years, we turn that upside down and um, she moves to Dallas. I get a little apartment. I start flying back and forth to Dallas and I'm building a, um, a distillery here in a new business. And uh, crazy. It helps to have a wife like Laura, right? I mean, she's super smart, business oriented. How involved was she with you behind the scenes? <laughs> well, she's very supportive financially because I've taken all of our personal assets and put it into a, a, a business. Um, so from that sense, very supportive. And um, um, and any time we're out, and it has been this way since we started, Laura loves to, to talk about um, glass vodka and the whole bit. But she was building her own career and, and still is. And, um, and so she was very focused on doing that. So 
you know, emotionally she's supportive. But um, in the beginning, this was um, uh, this was not a pet project because we're all in. But it, it was something that I had to do on my own to get it get it going. And I've had support really from a lot of friends. Um, that have uh, helped me from day one from doing things like product demonstrations and helping me with sales in the tasting room and uh, volunteering and putting bottling and packaging together. Um, and it, I wouldn't be where I am right now without all those the friendships that I have that have been so supportive. And I've gotten to know you and you are, and before we talk about all the really cool, fun stuff, you're a hard worker. And I often say that to people and they'll say, well, no, I'm not working because I love what I do. So this isn't work. But I mean, come on. This is a lot of work, right? Uh, yeah, it's a lot of work. And, and, um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's hard because right now it, it has to be personally rewarding because we're not at that level where I can say it's so financially rewarding that, that I'm just going to go do something else. I can't. You got to get up every morning. You got to work late. You got to keep grinding away because it for right now, it's about the hope of the future of what the, the business can can be and will be. Um, and it isn't yet. You know, you, you can't take someone who's going to be the next whatever superstar sports athlete and turn them loose when they're five years old and just say, you know what? You got the raw talent. So just go. You, you have to foster the growth and you got to provide them every the environment with which to get to the point they can become whatever this superstar athlete or business person or, or, or physician, whatever you might be. And we're at that stage right now. So I've got an adolescent that wants to kind of go run on its own, but can't. And so I'm still babysitting. You're the chaperone, right? Yeah. I'm the chaperone, and it's 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 filled with some pretty great, talented people that are working with me that come in and grind day to day alongside of me to make this thing work. And you said that the dream started a long time ago when you sat down, though, to put it on paper and make it reality. Right? Um, it was special from the beginning. I mean, you didn't come in here, and I remember talking early on. This wasn't well. I think we're going to do. You were very clear that you were going to come into the market and have something that was a not a cut above, a class above anything else out there. Where did you get that vision? I, I think it's my observation with what is successful in any industry out there that you have to differentiate. And for me, from my, just my own personal thing, I, I like to stand out. Um, I like it to be, I like things to be polished and, um, and I'm, I'm sort of detail oriented. So if I'm going to put my name and my signature and my effort behind something, um, that's the way it's going to be. And, um, and I, I feel successful in that respect that we've done that. Um, back in 2012, the first contest that I entered the Spirits into, we won the design award. And it wasn't even, it was so early on, it wasn't, I didn't even know what to think of that. And... Um, uh, I know it's hard for a listener to envision what I'm going to say, but I think this this analogy you'll, you'll understand. When you look at the bottle, the top of the bottle has a solid crystal stopper. 
and it being solid is a big thing just to start and the top of the bottle is gnaw, uh, is tall and narrow and the bottom of the bottle is sort of wide and heavy so at the bottom I wanted it to remind you of this beautiful either champagne bottle or some beautiful wine bottle and at the top I wanted it to have this nostalgic feel that reminds you of your, that your, the decanter at your grandparents house that you used to always see and no one used to ever pour anything from but together it's clean it's simple it's elegant there's not story all over the bottles and all this other stuff because what I wanted it to be was your iPhone box and most people want to ask the question they say well what did you do with your iPhone box if you have an iPhone because if you don't have an iPhone I guarantee you threw away your box but if you have an iPhone most people say ah it's in a drawer and then I say what the hell do you have a piece of cardboard sitting in your drawer are you putting rubber bands in it do you put pencils in it no it's just sitting there well it it'll make my phone more valuable later no it doesn't it's because it's such good quality that you feel like you don't want to get rid of it that's what I wanted my bottle to be so you're proud enough to put it on your bar at home just like your grandmother did with her decanter you're proud enough to serve it to people but it's not so in your face branded that it doesn't look like it it might not belong there. And so if someone takes personal pride in the acquisition of my product, I want them to be proud to display it. And it's sort of a a sign of their own good taste. Well, the beauty of podcasting is that it's interactive. So everybody listening to this is already following along online and they're looking at exactly what you're talking about. So the next obvious question is then the fascination with glass and the combination of glass and vodka. You love glass. It's everywhere here in your studio in Soto. Yeah. Talk about that. Where did, where did that come from? Well, honestly, that, that's where my name came from. There's Washington State. We have so many fantastic treasures. And one of the, 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 one of the treasures that we have in here is the wine industry itself. So not only just the wine, but the production of the fruit. And I've got a lot of friends in that business. You mentioned... Um, uh, Stacy a little earlier and, and Greg and Stacy have been friends for so long um, a lot of other winemakers as well I, I've always been a retail wine buyer and um, I didn't need to make the leap into becoming a winemaker or um, starting a winery because I'd be competing against all my friends who are 20 years into the business but I make all the vodkas from wine grapes and from wine because that's a differentiator. It makes a really beautiful tasting spirit. Um, I get to celebrate the Washington wine industry and be a part of something I'm very proud of and get to represent the, our industry around the country, actually around the world. And, um, and then second, one of the other great treasures that we have here in the Northwest is the studio glass world. There are more, it's a higher concentration of glass artists than just about anywhere else on the planet. And historically, it used to be in Italy, in Murano, just off off of Venice. But it is now here. Some of the greatest maestros in the world come here to the Northwest to study. And by some some crazy evangelists that started the glass movement, like Dale Chihuly, mutual friend I know, um, it... They started a little hippie camp up in the up in the woods up north in Washington called Pilchuck. And now that is a world renowned facility for people to come and train against six different um, art forms of glass and and learn from some of the greatest people and get to work with amongst other great artists. Well, it's something that's such so special and it's treasure and, and glasses. It's 
um, it's really a liquid art form. It starts with a solid, you melt it, it becomes liquid and malleable, and then you move it. That's what vodka is. Vodka is a liquid art form. So I thought that, my, you know, I have a lot of friends who are artists. I see this. I'm on the board of the Museum of Glass down in Tacoma. Um, I work with, even chaired the Pilchuck Glass Auction. I love to see what the, 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 the artists have done in this space. And I feel like I'm, I'm a liquid glass artist. So... Um, you don't maybe know all that story when you look at glass and when you see it. This is sort of my personal piece to it. Um, I think the name glass sounds clean and pure and elegant without saying something like diamond or sapphire. You're not, I think you're going for it too hard if you, if you use those names. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just not me. I think it's a little bit more subtle. The bottle is beautiful, but again, it's, it's sort of subtle. So glass is really... That's where it comes from, is my love of the studio glass movement here in, in Washington. And you weren't going to do this anything less than the absolute best, right? So the packaging, what went into the packaging, you've got Washington fruit, you've got the best of the best. Let's talk about the early period, though, rolling this out. You literally, I remember, you were all, you still are all over the country, but I mean, you barnstormed the country, a one-man band with your vodka and, and what was the reception early on you know it's the, the crazy part it's always been great um people have loved the product people love the packaging but we are in a country of over we're over 300 million people and it's, it's hard to fathom how big that really is you can be wildly successful and someone right next door to you has no idea i i I love the success that we've seen with a new brand in the United States. It's only about 27 years old now called Tito's. Likely in 2020, Tito is going to have the brand that overtakes Smirnoff Vodka as the most sold distilled spirits brand in the United States, more than any other whiskey, gin, whatever. And the phenomena of his growth has really taken place in the last six or seven years. And there are people that, that are tried and true Tito's fans that don't know how long that brand has been around. And there are still people today that are discovering and think that they found something new. And I love that because it's, it's all about that product availability and marketing and advertising. So uh, early on, back in 2013, I got to do a bottle signing and uh, a little reception down at Total Wines. Total Wine and More down at South Center. It was right after they first opened. And lo and behold, there's this other guy that's doing a tasting the, the, the day before I got there. And so I was over there visiting. And it's this guy, Tito Beverage. Yeah, Tito Beverage. And he gives me his card and I got a bottle of my vodka and he gives a bottle of his vodka and he signs a bottle for me and I signed a bottle for him. We pose for a picture together because there's no one in line that gave a crap about who Tito was because they didn't know who he was. And Dan Aykroyd was there a month or two later pitching his Crystal Head Vodka. And my God, they were all the way lined up around the block because everyone knew who Dan Aykroyd was. Yeah. And where's Crystal Head Vodka today? Eh, it's still out there, still some, but it was a novelty. It's sort of gone. Tito's Vodka, still around. But now it's a household name. We're not a household name. But it's amazing to see some of the followers that we have in different pockets around the country that tell me more about my brand that I even know. It's fantastic. That's one of the most rewarding things I think there is, is seeing um, the pleasure that you can bring to someone else because they, they fully grasp what I was trying to deliver. And I know you 
started a business to be successful, obviously, you want to make lots of money, right? You want to, you, you want that, right? Any, yeah. every business owner does, but, but you also get to experience this aspect of it, the emotional aspect of the business, which not many business owners get. Maybe they do a service, maybe, you know, there's some other aspect of that, but you have that connection through who you are and what you do with your audience that few do, right? Hey, it's true. And, it, you know, just two days ago, I was working on a batch here late and, and sort of sitting here by myself and thinking about the fact that in the early days, even till just, just recently, I felt like I knew every single customer that I had. If someone bought something on the store in the store, I knew them. If someone bought it at um, at a at a bar or a restaurant, I feel like I had to know them. It's just so small. I know I know who's buying my product, and now I have talented salespeople that work with me, and they've they've fostered relationships that I have nothing to do with, and have created like intense fans of the brand, and I get to revel in it. Because they're part of spreading the brand, but I don't feel like I was totally responsible for it, and it's still exciting. And and right now, that's where I have to live in is that that emotional gratification that comes from creating something, it's building it, and um, and finding success with a brand before it's completely financially viable, so to speak. The bottle, as we talked about, is so unique, and let's talk about what's in it. Okay, it's almost like you can't have a bottle that that's is that magnificent and then put garbage in it. Right. I mean, so you match that what's on the outside with what's on the inside. Right. I mean, it's just this phenomenal vodka like no one's ever tasted. Right. I mean, everybody out there who. Yeah, 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 yeah. Vodka. This is different. What's different about it? Good. Good vodka. It's hard to make. Um. What most distilleries start with is vodka. Most, not everyone, because it's a it's a great road to getting some cash flow in. It's a hard business. It's a, I it may not be as hard as wine, but some of the legal challenges and distribution challenges make it more difficult than wine because with wine having to sit in age for so long. But vodka, you can you can distill it and then you can sell it pretty quickly. But I liken vodka to light beer and people like mock especially americans and and oh even europeans mock the idea of things that are these light beers and they say oh it's just crap it's crap because you want this chewy beer and you want this big story and what have you but if you look at it most small breweries they don't make light beer because it's hard because you can't hide behind too much hops and a little different flavor here. If something is very subtle and quite difficult to make the same every time, it, that's a difficult thing to make. And vodka sort of the same way. You can make it and you can make it really cheap and you can make it really fast. And when you're really big, um, there's a market for that really cheap alcohol. But when you're small, you can't make something that tastes like crap because you'll never sell another bottle. So I make these very special, beautiful looking bottles. But the assumption that what's on the inside is going to match the outside, why that might be the case if you're talking about um, a, a world-class automobile, um, that may not be the case with spirits or wine. And so you can be... You can be f- 
You can fool a consumer because you put this very special package and they may not know what they're tasting. And so they just assume it's great and they want to brag about it. But that's not the way I'm going to be. I, I started with the spirit first and then designed the bottle around that. But I, I really wanted to have a first class quality spirit and then put it into a beautiful package and a simple looking package um, as elegant as it is so that the spirit is what's exemplified describe it Um, glass vodka has this silky mouthfeel to it it's got a nice viscosity to it when it starts the aromatics um, are exemplified from the grape base or the grapes that we use. It's almost got a honeysuckle sweetness to it. So honeysuckle, if you haven't like chewed on the end of a honeysuckle, a uh, piece of honeysuckle, it's not sugary sweet. So when I describe the vodka as a bit of sweetness, it's not. It's that that subtle sweetness that comes that the be the front part of your tongue tastes. The vodka also has a lower pH to it. So it hits you on the side of your jaw. And because of the, the, the distillation, uh, the way I distill it, it doesn't have this hot burn finish because we're not trying to make this hot, intense. Um, a lot of wheat alcohol has that sort of intense punch to it. This doesn't. This is meant to be silky and smooth and have a nice mouthfeel. In fact, what most people describe when they taste it the first time is that, oh my God, that doesn't burn. And then they take another uh, taste of it and they swirl it around their mouth. And I, I, that's what I like about this product. It's got this this aromatic quality. It's almost floral. A touch of sweetness at the front end. It doesn't have a hot burn. It's great to just sip. You can taste this in a glass without ice. And it it's it's not offensive in any way. And if you if you taste it and almost study it in your mouth... It actually tastes good with certain kinds of food, the same way as wine does. And in fact, it can Im- improve the quality of food because of the, the different sensations you get in your mouth. I like that because a lot of people who are listening to this would think a straight shot of vodka, right? Like, whoa, like drinking gasoline, right? And that is not, certainly not the case here. You can drink this like a fine whiskey, yeah. right? A, a, a scotch, right? We, I, 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 we liken it to a sipping it's a sipping vodka. Um, when people come into the tasting room, you experience it the first time, and they, we pull pour it in these beautiful stemmed glasses. Um, every once in a while, someone says, so how do we do this? Do we just shoot it? And I go, oh, no, no, no. You want to taste it first. You can shoot it if that's how you prefer to do it, but I think you'll get a better experience by first smelling it because most of our taste comes from the way something smells, not vice versa. And so when you taste it, you you get that first experience through smelling it. And when you can sip it and you find it pleasurable, you'll find that the second and third and fourth sip is even more pleasurable than the first because now you're experiencing it. And um, we don't just do straight vodka. Over the course of the last seven years, we've developed some some flavors. They're, they're actually direct infusions. So when you look at them, they're even colored. But they're colored because... One of ours is called Glass Nectar. It's infused with real honey that we get from um, our apiary partners, both here in Washington and actually through a, a good friend in Montana. We know the honey. We know the source where the bees are getting the pollen. Um, each of the batches that we make have a, a subtly different color because the pollen that the bees are bringing back to the hive with which to make the honey stains the honey a little bit different color, and that changes the color of our product. Um, it's a... 
That one is the only product that I make that is slightly sweet because it's the sweetness of the honey, but it's not overly done. It's this beautiful golden Chardonnay looking color to almost dark and uh, rich gold, depending on the time of year. We make a coffee infused vodka that's made with coffee that we get from the big island of Hawaii, from the Hapuna Kihei estate. We bring the beans over here. Uh, green. I have a roasting partner down in Ballard, and then we um, have a cold brew coffee that we make from that, and then we blend it with um, glass vodka. So it's uh, it's definitely a a morning vodka, as people say, because it tastes like a beautiful cold brew and finishes like vodka. And then we even have a uh, a cinnamon infused, and this is not your fireball um, exchange. This is glass vodka that's been infused with Ceylon cinnamon from Sri Lanka. It's the finest cinnamon I could find in the world. It smells like autumn in a bottle. It's just absolutely amazing. And it's got a darkness that looks like cognac. And now, glass vodka soda. Yeah. And our first experience with this was this summer. Blew me away. So, when did this come about? When did you start getting this idea? My God, I, I, this, this is the, the hardest product that I've done in terms of getting it to market has been glass vodka soda. And I really started on this two years ago. If I had had my druthers, this thing would have been out two years ago and I would have been leading the, the march with, um, with White Claw. But um, we didn't. And, and I, hey, I'm a little guy, and I've, I've never put anything in a can before. And by the way, it's really hard to put distilled spirits in a can and figure out how to get that done. Because you, you have to have special licenses and, and getting it to market and everything is, is more complex. Far more complex than the world of beer. So, we've figured each one of these things out. Um, as recently as a year ago, it wasn't going to be called Glass Vodka Soda. We had other names for it. And I decided that I'm spending so much money trying to get traction in this world with glass vodka. Why do I want to start with another brand name from ground zero when I've already got a great reputation with glass vodka? Why not tell people, how about glass vodka soda? And, um, and that's what we've done. So now we've got 12-ounce cans of glass vodka soda. It's 10% alcohol by volume. It's in a category called ready-to-drink. We're not a seltzer, though it is glass vodka. It's, it's a sparkling water with vodka and the essence of three flavors. Ruby red grapefruit, mandarin orange, and Meyer lemon. And each one of those flavors are developed in partnership. Not partnership. I hired a flavorist and a great flavorist company out of uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And some of these flavors took 15 iterations to get right. But what I wanted it to smell like and what I wanted it to taste like was you make a vodka soda like you'd get at a bar or at home. And if you threw a wedge of lemon in there, that's what it tastes like. It does not taste like you squeezed a whole lemon in there. That'd be vodka lemonade. This tastes like you order a vodka soda with lemon or ruby red grapefruit and when you crack the can of the ruby red grapefruit i promise you it smells like you just cut into a fresh piece of ruby red grapefruit not yellow grapefruit ruby red grapefruit and the mandarin orange is the exact same thing it doesn't it doesn't smell like anything but fresh fruit because that's what it is we even know the farms and ranches from which we're harvesting the fruit to make the essential oils that go into the can it's more expensive, but it's exactly what you really want anyway. I'm just putting it in a can for people to enjoy. And 
people seem to enjoy it. We picked up uh, a few cans at Brotherton Steakout. Let's be honest, you're not exactly feeling like drinking the day after stakeout. We've done enough of that. <laughs> hey, but, hey, the next evening, uh, you know I'm going to try one of these out. And absolutely blown away. I mean, because you haven't tasted anything like it. No. I mean, and I've sampled a lot of alcohol over the years, different stuff. And this is something entirely new, isn't it? It is. It really is. And it's in a category that is crazy explosive right now. Um, we are sort of being lumped in with the seltzer market. But... Um, Okay, that's fine. So we're lumped in the work. Yeah. But I, I promise you, it tastes different. I, I, I keep saying to you, it's, it's clean. It's very clean. It's pure. And it's real. It's what you wanted. It's what you'd like to have when you want a vodka soda. If you order a White Claw, you want a White Claw. If you order one of these other seltzer things, okay, you're ordering the brand. But if what you really want is a vodka soda, then you want glass vodka soda. Because that's what it is. And as I explained earlier... I was spoiled by you because that's the first. I had not tried the seltzers first. I had the glass vodka soda, and then I go to the grocery store thinking, oh, these seltzers, they're probably kind of like what Ian does. They're nothing like that. <laughs> no, not, no. not even close. I'm like drinking this going, well, it's okay. It's like a LaCroix, sort of, right? You know, <laughs> like, no, this is not what you're doing. I mean, what you're doing is amazing, and it, it, the taste, the flavors are awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And and I I did one that doesn't have any flavor at all. It's a vodka soda. And I did that to allow consumers and myself to put whatever kind of flavor else you want in it. Um I have some friends now from Texas that came up here and got to experience it and their favorite drink now is glass vodka soda, the natural one with a splash of cran. And so uh, if you like it with a lime, maybe you like it with a pineapple. Yeah. Um, I have some friends that um, uh, that that love the straight glass vodka soda with coconut water. There you go. And they they make it like a little uh, a boat drink. So um, it it it's all of these flavors. I think are what people are really looking for anyway. And it's natural. It's clean. And the glass vodka bottle is absolutely stunning, but it's a little hard to carry in your backpack, right? <laughs> it is true. We do make mini bottle versions of it, but um, yeah, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't cut it like the cans do. So here you are now, seven, eight years into this journey, which continues to unfold, right? I mean, the story remains to be written here. What's next? Uh, now I just think we just keep our nose to the grindstone. And um, and keep marketing our product, keep introducing it to people, um, and keep developing this this following, and um, and keep supporting all my brothers and sisters in this space, because in order for us to be around, everyone else that's doing distilled spirits, both big and small, they need to keep keep growing as well. And um, we're developing quite an industry here in Washington State. Like I said earlier, we have more distilleries in this state than any other in the country. And we're not big as the biggest geographically by any means, of course, but we have a great following. And so um, all these distilleries across the country are finding the same sort of challenges that, that I am facing as being a small entity in this in an industry that was really designed for huge players. And um, uh, and every day we face those challenges, but the more that distributors and consumers and retailers and um, bars and restaurants um, 
grasp onto the idea that small artisan brands can have followings as well, or if they want, if those entities want to differentiate themselves, like if a retailer or if a, a great restaurant or hotel wants to have something different, they don't have to look to the biggest players to find something different than make millions of cases. They can look to, to little suppliers like us who make thousands of cases to, to offer their consumers and their constituents something different. And so when people ask me about competition, I don't have competition. So someone decides to buy one of my, my competitors, so to speak, bottles. Great. I'm glad they do. Because that means they they're making something of quality spirit, and um, and 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 they're helping foster and grow the industry. We're we're a small business group here in Washington State. We're definitely not an industry, so we don't have the power that the restaurant association does or that the wine industry does. Uh, but the wine industry was like us at one point. At one point, there were only twenty five wineries in the state. Now we got nearly a thousand. That's a real industry. Yeah. And along the way, you have helped raise millions of dollars for charities, not only in your backyard, but all around the country. We have. Um, that's been the one thing that my wife and I agreed on in the beginning is that um, we watched the leadership that we've seen from the, our friends in the wine business here in Washington. And we've been involved in a lot of, of um, charity events and nonprofit and benefits to, to raise money for lots of different organizations around the country. Um, it's a thing that we believe that if you're successful, you need to give back to these communities that allow you to be successful. Um, but having the distillery has given us a vehicle to do that. And there's been a lot of people that have suggested that maybe we're a little too generous based upon um, the size of the company and, and how financially successful we are. But if I can make a donation or I can put something in place or I can help put together an auction package that raises uh, a significant amount of money that, that I could not write a check for myself then I feel like we've done some good. And over the course of the last eight years now, um, we have raised over $2 million through different donations that we've done and have contributed to, I would guess now, over 1,600 different organizations and on many occasions, many events. Um, I had a first this summer uh, at the Auction of Washington Wines, one of the premier fundraising benefits in Washington State and actually in the country, one of the top five wine auctions in the country. Um, it's a celebration of Washington wine. But for the first time in their 34, 35-year history, one of the live auction packages had um, a product that was not wine and was alcohol. And I did um, four different sketches that were engraved into the bottles, uh, 1.75 liter bottles of glass vodka, different uh, flavors of glass vodka. And that, along with a little dinner, the dinner party that my wife and I are going to host, uh, sold for a little over $24,000. And um, I, it, it's just amazing the kind of generosity that people have. And that, that, that benefits Children's Hospital. I can't write a $24,000 check right now myself. But if I can put together a package that people are willing to support that organization, I'll do that all day long. It's been fun to watch you grow this and uh, fun getting to know you. Uh, no one deserves success more than you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Brian. Really appreciate it. 
the amazing Ian McNeil, who has transformed an entire industry. And if you haven't already, visit glassvodka.com to learn more about Ian. You can shop his impressive lineup of vodkas and learn more about Glass Vodka Soda, which is already going fast at Whole Foods and other fine grocers across America. In our next download, back to Oregon wine country to sit down with the godfather of Oregon sparkling wine, Rollin' Souls, next time on Vintage. Vintage is a presentation of Feedback Media. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.